Heyo, and welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 70 of the podcast. And I am very, very happy to be back here with you fine folks today. Um, I will start off with an apology. Uh, So I really try my best to stay on a consistent uh, release schedule with my podcasts. And for this past semester, that has been on Wednesdays. And I try to keep people updated on on when the episodes are going to drop and if there's going to be a delay or anything. I'll either put it, sometimes I put a post out on uh, the blog if there's going to be delayed or if, uh, you know, I kind of said ahead of time when I had spring break that I was not going to be putting out an episode that week. Um, Well, I dropped the ball last week. Um, So I had really had it in me, you know, to finish out that rap planning series and get episode, uh, the fifth part of that done. And I did. And I had, uh, I think I had mentioned I had been uh, getting my brother to help me out with some of the editing and WordPress posting, you know, getting the the podcast actually up and posted. And uh, he was a little bit busy. And so, you know, uh, it had to wait a little bit. And so, what normally got posted on would have been posted that Wednesday didn't get put out I think until like Sunday, so my bad on that. But the five part rap planning series is done, and some of you may not have been really into that, and if so, I apologize. If you were just like, oh, I can't wait till he's done with that so he can start up with the regular episodes again, your time has come, folks. I am back, um, and so yeah, with an episode getting released over the weekend. I just uh, I just didn't have it in me to do another episode, uh, so I sort of did one kind of over two week time period in the middle there, and uh, so but now I'm back, and uh, so this is I believe the tenth episode of the uh, semester, and it's week twelve uh, at least here at Rutgers, uh, so. The end is in sight, folks. Uh, We're going to be ending the spring semester uh, in the next month, if you can believe that. Uh, I find it uh, slightly unbelievable, but uh, I'll take it, um, and I'm sure you guys will too. So I uh, today I have an interview for you guys. I'm really super, super excited to bring it to you. Haven't done an interview in a while, and um, I really, really enjoyed this one. Uh, I'm not going to really talk much else today uh, except to uh, introduce this person. You know, I kind of do the introduction in the interview. But before I I bring on Laisha, I just want to say kind of some of the the reasons why I kind of elected to have her on. And I'm sure when you're done with the interview, it will become painfully obvious. But when I think about this podcast and I think about things that I try and promote on the show. You know, obviously goal setting is a big thing here. It's the reason we do the show, right? Uh, and entrepreneurship is something that I've I've really tried to kind of, you know, just maybe plant the seed in people's minds. I know that most of the people listening to this show are involved, invested in college right now. And I hope that I've been able to demonstrate that there can be sort of um, there's room for both, right? There, you could go to college and still consider uh, entrepreneurship as as a main thing that you're you want to do someday, or you know, at the very least, as some kind of side hustle. 
um, to get, you know, develop that extra skill set that might quench a thirst when it comes to the, you know, just something you want to do beyond your your normal day to day. Um, like I said, it doesn't have to be, you know, when I think about entrepreneurship, your main full time gig. You know, it isn't for me. Um, you know, I have a regular. It's not exactly a nine to five, but I have a 40 hour work week type of job. And on the side, you know, I do these things like, you know, the podcast, which is not really what I would classify as entrepreneurial in the sense that uh, I don't make any money off of it. But, you know, I've talked about my, my forays into the small business world with my uh, online course and whatnot. And it's it's taught me so much. Um, and I think you'll get that sense at Alicia today. Um, networking, pay attention to when we talk about that um, sort of in an informal way. Uh, I think it comes up fairly frequently when she talks about um, how she was able to kind of carve out different positions and niches for herself in the, uh, you know, mental health public policy sphere. Um, and, you know, just this idea, it's really a, a psychiatric rehabilitation principle, um, you know, playing up to our strengths and catering to our strengths and what we're good at. And I think that Laisha's strengths will be apparent, you know, again, when you finish the episode. Um, I haven't talked about Derek's five mm-hmm. factors in a while, but when I think about passion, value, leverage, accountability, and sustainability, um, certainly the passion is there and it, and it will be evident. Um, but I, when I thought about it afterwards, you know, I thought a lot about leverage when I, when I think back to this interview and the different ways that she talked about employing leverage as a means to kind of take that next step in her process, you know, the goal setting, um, or goal achievement, I should say, process. So, Really excited to uh, bring Laisha on. So Derek and Laisha, take it away. All right. So I am here today with uh, Laisha Ostrow. And uh, welcome, Laisha, to the College Student Success Podcast. Thank you for having me, Derek. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show today over there on the West Coast. And um, before I have you kind of talk a little bit about yourself and kind of how I ended up uh, probably, uh, you know, having an interest in interviewing you. I, I will kind of start by telling uh, the audience how I came to know of you uh, through a mutual friend of ours. Um, so uh, my, a mentor of mine, Pat, who I've kind of discussed briefly in passing on the show, uh, had reached out to me and we, we talked fairly regularly. And at the end of one of our, our discussions, she was like, oh, by the way, you know, there's this uh, woman I wanted to put you in touch with. She's working on this grant. And, you know, I think you might be able to help her. And I was like, oh, sure. You know, and I've come to realize when you have a mentor and uh, they they suggest something to you, especially when it's sort of out of the blue, like she doesn't usually ask me to do things. Um, it's something that I, I usually will do no questions asked, you know, and, and figure out later, like what the intention was, you know, she had a reason for it. So like. I remember like reaching out to you on email and, uh, and you know, I read your grant and I remember after reading, I was like, oh man, I know exactly why Pat put me in touch with you. You're awesome. Um, so we'll That's probably- exactly how I felt too. When Pat told me to call you and a couple other people, I just did it. And I was questions later and felt the same way. Yeah. I was just like, now I see it. Yeah. So yeah. we'll talk about the grant, I'm sure. But um, yeah, if you could just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, we all are uh, in recovery in some way, way, shape, or form here. So kind of like what got you into 
the recovery space, sort of, and uh, what you're doing now. Uh, yeah, so um, I own my own business called Live and Learn, which does um, research and uh, consulting and technical assistance for public mental health systems with a particular focus on uh, giving voice to people who use or have used mental health services um, in concrete research and policy projects. So I guess I sort of see my role as a researcher and I guess also at times sort of an advocate for um, synthesizing different perspectives or trying to bring people together to uh, work on problems that we all face as a society but may have um, different opinions about how to fix. Um, so I guess my work, I would say, is inspired by my own experience and informed by others' perspectives as well as data. So I got into this um, when I was 14. I was a freshman in high school. Um, I uh, was having some difficulties and tried to run away from home, ended up um, being hospitalized in a psychiatric inpatient unit prescribed Paxil, and this was in the mid-90s, so we didn't know nearly as much about psychiatric drugs as we do now, particularly SSRIs, which were all the rage then. Um, so after that, I had a manic episode, perhaps in part due to the drugs, um, and then entered this long, convoluted journey into the mental health system, including um, ending up in a residential treatment facility for girls for several years um, as part of a special education program, um, I, which then led to my parents taking me to court to uh, get guardianship of me after I turned 18. Um, and that, that guardianship in Massachusetts also included a forced antipsychotics order um, called a Rogers in Massachusetts. So, um, then I ended up on social security disability. Um, I actually ended up going to college to, you know, I was told that I, after my experience two and a half years in a special education institution, would have to go to a special education college. And um, I guess I should say that before freshman year of high school, or in the first part, of, up until the first part of freshman year of high school, I was like a straight A honor student. Um, so, uh, I actually ended up going to a regular mainstream university. Um, I applied to three different mainstream universities, got into all three and chose the one that was co-ed um, <laughs> after a couple of years in the institution for all girls as a teenager. So um, I went to college and uh, it was definitely difficult to reintegrate into mainstream society at that point, including some of them, um, I think, sort of you know, when you live in an institution that's segregated, I mean, like gender is one issue that I've already mentioned. Um, you know, I didn't really have, we didn't really have classes. Um, so I just, I felt like I was playing catch up socially, uh, intellectually, um, in, in ways that were sort of unfamiliar to me. Uh, but I, I did okay in my, in my junior year though, I took a medical leave for depression um, for a couple of months and I did a partial hospitalization program um, and lived at home with my parents again. And then when I wanted to come back, they did a re-entry interview with me at the counseling center at the university and dissuaded me from coming back to college. Um, you know, and I had had these terrible experiences in education to that point. And so the advice that was given to me that, you know, this 
maybe wasn't for me made a lot of sense to me. So I voluntarily left college technically. Um, and then, so I was a college dropout. I was on disability. Um, and I spent a lot of time, uh, internet dating and, uh, <laughs> I'd like, this is like 2001. This is, you know, I say I've been internet dating since like before it was a thing, but partially in part because I had a disability. So, um, you know, I got jobs. I worked, um, I worked in a daycare. I worked in retail, but, uh, you know, after a month I would quit, um, or, you know, just stop showing up. And so the narrative became that I couldn't hold down a job, that it couldn't work, you know, and that's, that's what they tell you. I mean, in order to get on disability that, you know, you know, it has to be proven that you have, you can't work for the foreseeable future. So I couldn't. Um, I remember my parents were at the time um, getting ready to sell our house in the suburbs and move to the city. And they would take me when they were looking at new houses and, and, you know, only look at places where I could have a bedroom. And I was like 23 at the time, 22, 23. Uh, and then I realized that I was not Bill Gates and could not just make a living without a college degree. Um, and I, I actually, even at that time, wanted to be a researcher. I decided that I wanted to be a researcher when I was 17 and I was locked in seclusion. And I thought, like, there just has to be a better way. Whoever designed this system does not know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I always just wanted to make really broad-scale change. So I... Um, I enrolled back in college in an adult um, like distance program where low residency, where you could design your own courses and, you know, you just have to go um, two weeks out of the year. So I was able to have a part-time job working on um, actually in a child psychiatry lab that was testing uh, antipsychotics on children. Wow. Which convinced me that I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. It was um, very triggering every day at work. I thought about suicide all of the time. But I kept going, um, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get, I mean, I tried applying for other research assistant jobs, and I couldn't get one because I didn't have a bachelor's degree. So I finished my bachelor's degree, and then I got another job. Um, and What was your degree in? Uh, my bachelor's is technically in psychology. The interesting thing is, so I was able to transfer, you know, you're able to transfer, I think, 60 credits mm-hmm. uh, in college. That's a good thing for people to know if they're going down paths like these. So I wasn't able to transfer all of my credits, but I had already done a lot of a major in psychology at a mainstream university or, you know, some regular university. So um, I just kept the psychology major and, you know, I was still interested in mental health, but I was really became interested in mental health policy um, and sort of the history of the system and how it got to be the screwed up way that it is. So um, a lot of the classes that I designed for myself when I was finishing my bachelor's degree in psychology were about uh, mental health policy. So I would say that I graduated college with an understanding of health policy that most people with bachelor's degrees probably don't have, Uh, certainly not with a degree in psychology. I wouldn't really say that I have a degree in psychology. I mean, of course, when people ask me, I say that because that's what it says, but um, it's not. It's more more like a specialization in with yeah. within in public policy. That's cool. Okay. So yeah, so you graduated undergrad and did you then go out and work in the world or what was yes. it back in the so school? So I got a job. All right. And it was sort of a mix of um, 
direct service, like working in intake in a mental health clinic and also um, doing some uh, policy work for the same organization. So wherever I've gone, people have always created jobs for me. This is like a long story for me. I don't know why, but I um, will venture to say that I don't tend to fit in very well. Um, so this was one of those situations where I had like a two-part job, which is, I think, uh, mostly a curse um, until you figure it out. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it did not work out. I I got really depressed, which will happen in transitions, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and they fired me. Um, I did go approach the, uh, EEOC. Did I get that acronym right? EEOC. The Equal Opportunity Employment Commission okay. um, about filing a discrimination claim against that organization um, for firing me because I felt that it was on the basis of, of a psychiatric disability uh, and, you know, and experiencing depression. And I, this is where, you know, these things get really tricky because it's like, well, if I was like engaging in absenteeism or presenteeism or whatever, not following directions or... Um, you know, is that, is it discrimination for somebody to fire me if I'm not doing the job they want it, the way that they want it to be done? You know, I don't, I don't know that I asked for an accommodation, um, or what that would have looked like. I don't, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't really think I needed it. It doesn't, it's, you know, accommodations are like in this weird space where you have to, to some extent, um, identify as having a disability rather than yeah. just being yourself. You have and to disclose. I, that's the, yeah. Well, no, I've always been completely, I didn't even know that I wasn't supposed to be out. That's how I, I, you know, like I was so entrenched in a system where my entire identity was being mentally ill that when I got into the world, I didn't even know that I wasn't supposed to tell people. Mm -hmm. um, so when I went to college, you know, like I, I was very open with my friends, um, with my professors. When I got a job, I, you know, I was open with them. Just in sort of a, you know, yeah. this is part of my experience in the world, mm -hmm. where I came from. So, you know, so they knew, um, but, you know. Yeah, nevertheless, they fired you. <laughs> yeah, they fired me. Um, this like the same day or the next day, um, I got a letter from the Social Security Administration saying that I owed them, I don't know what it was. To me, whatever it was at the time, it was a lot of money. It was like $1,000, $500 in overpayments, even though I've been very careful not to work too much and to like tell them when I was working and all of that so that I wouldn't get in that situation. But mm -hmm. it doesn't matter because that system is as screwed up as the rest of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that just series of events of like being like recently, like getting a job and then being unemployed and then owing the government money. Um, I, uh, attempted suicide. Um, so but I was fine, I guess. Um, and then I started applying for jobs. Um, and I really wanted to work at this one place in Cambridge, Massachusetts called Human Services Research Institute, which is actually how I met Pat. Um, because they did exactly the work that I wanted to do, which was research and evaluation and policy analysis in public mental health systems with, you know, with an orientation towards recovery and rehabilitation. Um, and the importance of a service user voice and all of that. Um, so I 
network my way into that job, I think. Um, you know, found someone who knew someone who knew someone and um, wrote to the um, then vice president, Steve Leff, and said I wanted a job. And they interviewed me and I got the job. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's just, you know, we, this podcast is about, you know, setting and achieving goals. And it's, you know, when I hear a story like that, it's like, I don't have as many examples of that in my life. It's like something like I've has fixated on, like I always wanted a job there, like this example. And you're like, and I figured out how to do it. And, you know, that's it continues. I mean, that's just continues to be a story in my life. Um, yeah. Some people don't, they're not into that. You know, they maybe get a little bit annoyed with my neurotic attachment to my ideas. Um, <laughs> Well, I think sometimes it works out, right? Yeah. Well, if people if people don't have that instinct, I think they they'll you know they'll apply for the job. You know, they'll think they really really want it. They'll apply for it. Maybe they'll even take that extra step to you know follow up and contact the hiring manager. But you know, if they don't get it, a lot of people will just kind of okay, move on. You know, and it didn't seem like that would have happened in this case where you know you would. It wasn't even a job. I (laughs) I just cold called them. It was like I I want a job. That's I want better. you to make it. I want you to create a job. And they're like, okay, after talking to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I don't. That's the thing, right? That's the thing about privilege is that it's easy for me to say, um, you know, well, then I decided I wanted that job, and then I got that job. But like, what would I? Yeah, what would I have done if they had been like, we just can't hire you, or you know, we can't hire anyone, or we can't hire you, or whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. if I hadn't got like, would I have given up? I don't know. It's a counterfactual. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, now that I've lived a longer time, I'm like getting closer to answering that question. Yeah. Uh, when do you give up? So, what were you doing there? So, um, I actually my first project was a policy analysis of Prop 63 in California, the Mental Health Services Act, which began lighting the fuse of me several many years later moving to California. Um, so we worked on projects for the federal government, um, a lot of them funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA, um, you know, multi-site evaluations, policy analysis, things like that. Um, I worked on a research grant funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation on um, racial and ethnic differences and uh, perspectives on depression treatment. Um, so like I said, I always wanted to be a researcher. I wasn't... I think government contracts fill a certain um, place in my interest, but I didn't want to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I was at HSRI, also I got a uh, master's in public policy from the Heller School at Brandeis, um, which was great. I highly recommend their program. Um, I think it taught me a lot of really valuable skills, including public speaking, which I was terrified to do before, but they make you do it <laughs> until you're comfortable. Um, and then, uh, I, I wanted to go to, um, Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, um, this, which is the only school of public health that has a department of mental health. Um, so once again, I like set my sights on it and I ended up, um, for a lot of different reasons, creating a relationship, um, I'm not sure if I should use names here or not. I guess it's not really confidential. It's a compliment, but with Ron Manderscheid, um, who's an adjunct professor at Hopkins, and we offered a paper together and um, uh, has been an important person in my career. 
So I, you know, figured that one out. And, you know, what? I guess it's not so much that I schmoozed my way, but, you know, part of getting a job or getting into school or getting anything is figuring out, you know, what the other person wants. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you I'm glad. Yeah, you know, you should real, read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, the common sense approach to getting along with others. I'll um, put a uh, link to it in the show notes. Yeah. You can get it on audio. That's great. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, once you figure out what, what the other person in the equation wants, then, you know, it should be fairly easy to find some middle ground. So I felt that um, Hopkins, um, that that program was, and I still think this, uh, is not necessarily interested in particular in your GRE or your grades or things like that, but like interested in scrappy people like myself, like people who will figure it out. You know, they're not going to hold your hand in figuring anything out or teaching you anything. Um, They just, I think, I would say that a lot of the other students at Hopkins have that quality of just figuring it out. Um, so I actually didn't know that it was the number one school of public health when I applied and later panic, uh, said it when someone pointed that out, I just wanted to go there. I thought it was a good fit. Um, so, uh, yeah, once again, you know, I only applied to that one PhD program and I really wanted to go there and yeah, of course in my head I was like, okay, what's going to happen if I don't get in? Um, but then I did. Um, uh, yeah, so they, I don't know, there was, you know, funding wasn't, wasn't sure, secure, you know, they have a funny way of doing it different than like, um, psychology programs. Um, so, you know, I had to like get scrappy and beg for money and ever since then I've been doing that. So after I finished at Hopkins, uh, I did a postdoc at UCSF Department of Psychiatry and while I was there I started my business. Okay. Um, so what is it that led you to, to pick the self-employment route? I mean you, it seems like you had this little pattern of like not really fitting into conventional jobs and but seemed to kind of be able to navigate that by you know using your resources and your strengths and you know figuring out what you wanted and getting jobs created for you. So what what led you in that direction? Um. Yeah. I mean, exactly that. I guess you know I finished school and I did a postdoc, which gave me sort of a flavor of another academic institution, and it was a medical school, which was really different. Um. And, you know, I have applied for and interviewed at various different places. I'm, you know, I have this, um, this interest that like would fit in, you know, with, uh, organizations in the private sector doing government contracting or academia, um, or advocacy or government. Like I could do any of those things, I think, and, and maybe be reasonably well qualified for them. Um, uh, but I don't really just want to do any of those, any one thing. I think that, um, that having, working for myself, I really kind of believe at this point is the only way that I can do the work that I really need to do. Um, when I was 25, my father asked me what my mission in life was. Uh, and I said that I wanted to do research, uh, that impacted policy so that nobody had to go through what I went through. And I still have that mission. Uh, and I, it just 
seemed like I would have to make too many compromises um, in taking a job. No, it, it does appear that way. Okay, so you, you've kind of hinted, you know, and described your business in the beginning, but can you give the, the audience a little bit better, clearer picture of what you actually do? So, like, maybe an example of, like, what a, what a typical, like, uh, job might be in your, in your organization, Live and Learn. So there are no typical jobs. <laughs> no typical jobs. Uh, yeah. Or no, maybe like say, the last one. Um, so I work with um, academic institutions, governments, um, and community-based organizations, including like consumer advocacy organizations. So, um, you know, there's sort of like a range of things that might be done, all focused around, you know, research and data and those kind of skills. Um, so, so my... Oh, yeah, I mean that's okay. I'm gonna ask you this one then. So I'll I'll ask what my interest is is institutions. So I work for Rutgers, you know, Department of Psych Rehab. And let's say I you know, we were to reach out to you, what might we be looking for? Okay. So partnerships with universities. Um so like I've had universities hire me to uh, do a literature review on some, you know, particular area that I have knowledge of. Um, I've had universities hire me to do data analysis and reporting or outreach to, um, you know, whoever it is they might want to outreach to, to students with disabilities or things like that. Um, and then I also am um, partnered, at this point things are like in review, so um, on like uh, federally funded academic research grants. Okay. Um, like something that I might do if I was in a, you know, professor position at mm-hmm. university. Okay. Um, so doing investigative research. That so helps. Yeah. No, that helps. So, you know, it's different various research activities that they are, you know, either unable to do or, you know, in some ways it seems like unqualified to do. Like you, your organization brings that perspective of somebody with lived experience doing research it seems like in most cases with you know involving people with uh, yes. disabilities right yeah yeah or you know people who have used or have used mental health services okay so let's talk about the grant because i think it relates to my next question about people in recovery and why they should consider self-employment um we got. We talked in the beginning about getting involved through this grant. What is the? Can you tell a little bit about what that is involving? So I currently have um, a fellowship grant from the National Institute of Disability and Independent National Institute on Disability Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research. Sorry, they recently changed their name. Yes. I'm quite, um, a, I'm quite aware. We talk about NIDLR often. Did anyone get through saying that? <laughs> I don't know. The agency formerly known as NIDLR, now NIDLR. I appreciate, I appreciate your attempt at uh, letting the audience know what, what it means. But yeah, we only ever call it NIDLR in area. I, area. It's, I know. I have to say, and sometimes I just say like uh, this agency, and then I'm like, not going to bumble through it. Yep. Um, so I have a fellowship grant from them to study... Uh, self-employment um, by people with psychiatric disabilities. So that is a one-year fellowship grant that involves me doing an environmental scan, so reviewing literature. I interviewed a number of key informants, including 10 individuals who are themselves self-employed, and I 
and have a psychiatric history um, in order to develop a, a large-scale survey of, of such individuals, which I'm in the process of designing now and will be launched in on June 1st. Um, so as I've been working on that, um, Pat and I decided to apply for a NIDLR SBIR grant, which are small business innovation and research grants, um, or which are R&D grants given to small businesses by the federal government, by many agencies in the federal government, to develop um, commercially viable products um, uh, to, in this case, help people with disabilities. So that project, um, which is a grant which is under review, um, is uh, the grant is designed to develop an online resource for people with psychiatric disabilities to become self-employed. Um, and I've increasingly become interested not just in people becoming self-employed, but people growing their businesses. Um, so I, uh, I'm kind of I'm working with the idea right now that you know we have a society that values what we call entrepreneurship. You know, um, picking yourself up by your bootstraps and creating jobs for others and growing, growing, growing. That's the model. That's capitalism. It has to grow. For people with um, disabilities, I found in the literature, I think this maybe kind of an implicit bias that you know there's some acceptance that self-employment is a good avenue for people with disabilities and including people with psychiatric disabilities. But that includes, um, you know, working for oneself. And maybe you have, you know, subcontractors here and there or people helping you, but you really just you work for yourself. Um, the idea of entrepreneurship, of growing a business that can employ other people with disabilities is, has not, I think, not really gone anywhere. So that's kind of my passion right now is, um, I mean, I think it can be really hard to become self-employed. I think it's one of those things, like, if you're going to do it, you're going to figure it out. It has to be a good fit. After that, what happens? How do you sustain a business? How do you grow a business? Um, I don't think there's a lot of tools for that. So I'm hoping that our product, which hopefully will be funded, and is called Reclaiming Employment, um, will help people who are currently um, disabled or unemployed or, or working in a regular job uh, start, start a business, become self-employed, and then also grow a business. So awesome. And... Uh... I don't know, sense him just like, well, why hasn't this been done or, or developed further? But on the other hand, like, who gives a shit? Like, you know, I th I'm glad it's, I'm glad you're going for it. And when, uh, you'll find out over the summer, was it? Hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. You know, okay. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever they want to tell you. I was supposed to find out about Grant on Friday. And, oh. uh, waited, you know, checked email a bunch of times waiting, never heard, still haven't heard. <laughs> Just like probably not happening, but <laughs> you know, you know, you can't infer anything from that. <sighs> I know. Sorry to tell you. I know, I know. But anyway, let's transition because, like, everything you talk about, like, you know, a lot of it is like what I would consider like project-based work, right? And I think that is something that draws a lot of people to self-employment is this idea of like not having this rote nine to five, you know, do the same thing every day. You know, you get different projects and like each one is probably pretty large. And, and I think it relates to goal setting. You know, when, when you said like you wanted to go to this Ph.D. program and, you know, you just made it happen like you, you, you and I both know it's not that easy. So like. 
is your what's your approach to goal setting in sense of like how structured are you like do you write lists of steps that you need to achieve or do you like you know live and die with a certain calendar or you know plan out in advance like what do you kind of what can you kind of give to the audience that uh some tips in terms of like being able to plan out like long term longer term goal projects yeah, I will at first say that I'm not convinced that I'm the most organized person. Um, so I don't know if anyone should take my advice. <laughs> but you get I them done. Is, like the, the irony is that you know when they when I was like on all these psych drugs when I was a teenager and they did they had to do cognitive testing because I was just like I mean I was like a fat blob you know <laughs> um, mentally mm-hmm. um, and physically and you know they said I had poor I had a poor memory. Um, so I, I would say that my being disorganized, um, is I get away with it because I have a really good short term memory <laughs> now. So I guess, yeah, I make lists. I have a calendar. I probably have too many calendars, too many lists. Um, I have like a paper planner and then, you know, I use Google keep for some lists and then I have a project management software called free camp. We just started using, which is free and pretty good. Um, if you need project management software, um, good to know. Maybe you can get some advertising money from them now. Um, <laughs> That'd be great. Too, right? <laughs> My planner is by Ink and Bolt. Um, <laughs> I'll make sure to uh, yeah, product endorsement. Tweet at um, them when I release this as well. So I'm. I don't know. I don't know if I have any. This is sort of a sticky place for me because um, I really I have no clinical training whatsoever. I've never been interested in. I'm not even a peer supporter, none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really try to shy away from giving people advice about anything. Yeah, no, that's why I asked kind of like what you do, you know. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is like you know. It, it comes down to like how you end up keeping a lot of balls in the air at the same time, you know? And oh, because I'd be bored out of my mind otherwise. I mean, I think it's actually like, it's like some other, sometimes I wonder if I'm like, I really am crazy, you know, like that if things um, slow down too much, I worry that if I got a job um, that I would be so bored that I, you know, that I would make problems, that I wouldn't be able to do it. So would you say you work a lot? And that is like kind of what keeps you steady. Um, I think, I don't know if I feel like I work a lot. I think that like working in this kind of industry, whether or not you're self-employed, you can always kind of be working. Like you can always be working through something in your mind. Yeah. Um, And so it's a nice job for people who are overactive in that way. Yeah. I think in in some ways it kind of parallels in uh, my job in that, the the edges in my job are sort of blurred between you know working and some of just things I do because I enjoy doing them you know reading about you know things related to the field and then it's like ends up becoming something that you know I end up proposing for work you know and so in that sense I could probably see some compare you know comparisons between us yeah yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, like, I think most people, it would occur to them that an academic position would be kind of perfect for me. You know, like, I publish, I do, you know, I do actual research, all of that. Um, I enjoy mentoring and teaching, but um, I think it's sort of some of the structures of, of academic jobs that I just feel wary of. I feel like there's, um, sometimes can be, one, you can have a bigger impact, right, because you can be, you know, 
they'll interview on the on the radio and say, you know, Dr. So-and-so from University of whatever, and then you get to, like, actually have an impact on the public. But at the same time, I think there's, like, some limitations in what you can achieve in your day-to-day work. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, as we start to wrap up... Um... You know, you said you, you shy away from giving advice, so I won't ask for advice with this, but, like, you know, people that uh, I think listen to the show or, you know, people that might be struggling with some kind of, you know, mental health issues or whatnot, but are also invested in, in goal setting. So when times have gotten tough for you in terms of, like, you know, I'm sure you haven't achieved every goal, you know, and what have you kind of fallen back on in terms of, you know, strategies you've learned or things that have worked for you in terms of kind of managing through the the more difficult times? Um, I think social support continues to be like the most important thing in mental health. Um, you know, the, one of the issues with that is that like, we can't make any money off of people just loving each other. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that works. Um, so I, I guess in a more concrete way for people who are in college, I'm sort of, I'm working on developing an idea right now and I'll allow myself to be scooped um, about faculty with lived experience, whether they disclose or not, um, and providing support to students who are in distress. So um, I've often felt that it's like the informal accommodations, accommodations in school mm-hmm. that are the most useful. You know, just working with your individual professor or your mentor to, to sort things out without going through all the formal process and extra time and extra room and whatever. Um, even though those things can be important too, obviously. So I think similarly for like experiences of distress, I just sort of have started noticing that my friends and colleagues who themselves have a history of mental health problems that students gravitate towards them for support um, or, or for, um, you know, for ideas about what to do or, um, or referrals. So, and that, you know, that those people have obviously have a certain sensitivity. And, you know, one of my areas of expertise in research is peer support. So, you know, maybe it's my confirmation bias, but I think there's something there. And, you know, again, it just comes back to relationships. Yeah, that's really awesome. We'll have to talk off air about that idea about faculty and, you know, being sort of informed. It doesn't sound like mentorship, but just like, you know, people with lived faculty with lived experience sort of off lending a hand in this idea of informal accommodations, because, you know, I certainly would be interested in that. I mean, I'm in recovery for alcoholism and like, you know, if I could help a student informally, you know, that I'm sure many others would as well. And, um, you know, per, from personal experience, I, I've talked about this too, like this informal accommodations, like me personally, like I'm not, I don't have a, a disability that I would, you know, would require accommodations. But when I was in, in grad school uh, for my master's, I was going through some rough time with somebody I was uh, involved with. And uh, I needed time off, and I remember going to my professor and expecting it to be a rigmarole, and you know, oh, you got to fill out this form, or you know, you register here, and it was just like, oh, you're fine, you know, I'll give you an incomplete, you can make it up, you know, when you need to, and it was just such a breath of fresh air, you know, and and I I get that because it was in the Department of Psychiatric Rehabilitation, you know, I don't know, a lot of schools would not be as flexible and and aren't currently, and uh, they're sort of worried by people that are, are in distress. 
yeah, I mean, there's a lot of liability stuff that goes on. I also think that, you know, yeah, you were in a department of psych rehab, and so you, you know, conclude reasonably that it would go that way, but I, it could also be the opposite, you know, because I feel like some of our, some of these, I believe in systems, I think we need them, but I also think they can kind of distort um, normal human, inter, you know, instincts, yeah. um, which is like to care about somebody who's hurting. I mean, if you're in a faculty position, you're clearly not, you know, like, you would be in a different industry if you didn't care about people. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, some of the stories I've heard from friends and colleagues have been, like, you know, students coming to them and them saying, well, you should really go to student health services, you know, because they feel that's the recommendation they want to make. And a student, you know, say, well, I don't want to go there because I'm afraid that they'll hospitalize me or they'll make me take drugs or something. And, you know, a faculty member being able to relate to that fear, you know. Whereas others might say, well, maybe you need to be hospitalized or, you know, I don't know. I just think there could be different sorts of empathy going on there that can really help students. And maybe, you know, a student decides at the end of that meeting that they're okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. Um, Where can people learn more about you and the work you do if they're more interested in, like, learning about uh, your agency or, uh, you know, perhaps getting in touch? Yeah, great. I'm happy for anybody to get in touch with me. Um, and the website URL for Live and Learn is livelearninc.net. Awesome. And I will uh, tweet at you when I put this out. So if people uh, get the episode through Twitter, uh, you'll get her uh, follow sign or whatever they call that thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you, Leisha, again for coming on. Really appreciate having you. Thanks for having me. And we're back. And again, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I have. Uh, so with that, I will not keep you much longer except to talk about your home exercise. So uh, hopefully you guys did kind of follow along, play along at home and complete that rap plan. And uh, if not, if you're just tuning in, there is a five-part series we just finished and a Uh, wellness recovery action plan for school, an academic plan uh, that you can download uh, through checking, clicking uh, the the show notes. Um, Most of those those five parts uh, had a link that you could download the PDF. Um, But to kind of get back to your goal, I want to get back onto the goal that we set at the beginning of the semester, because many of you might be working on something completely different, not really related to, you know, managing your mental health, um, you know, as I was doing before I uh, kind of had a setback, I was working on a wellness goal that was related to kind of, you know, working out a little bit more. Actually, it was sort of more group or socially related or recreational activities like uh, hand- racquetball, I almost said handball. Um, and I'm going to kind of get into next week a little bit about um, my recovery. I've, I've talked, kind of touched on, you know, the, the limitations that I've had because they have had an impact on the podcast. And I, I do apologize for that, but, you know, it, you do what you can. Uh, and I'm just glad that, uh, you know, things are looking up for me. I am feeling a, a great deal better, but I'll get into that more next week. But your home exercise is to kind of get back on track when it comes to your your spring semester goal here. And I'd like you to try and, you know, kind of refocus yourself if you if you've gotten off track and take that next step. You know, whatever it is, put it down in your calendar now, right? Hit pause on this podcast. I'll, it's okay. I'll be here when you get back. Go get your planner. You know, 
think back or maybe go find the piece of paper where I had you write down your goal back in the beginning of the semester. Or if you just know it because you've been thinking about it constantly, props to you. That's awesome. Um, and think about, all right, like e either you finished a piece recently and it's sort of time to, to break off that next chunk, right? It's like, all right, what do I have to do next to kind of get there? Or you've left a piece sort of lingering and you haven't sort of like finished the last chunk that you've been working on. So if that's you, finish that last chunk in this next week, right? Get yourself ready next week to kind of tackle the next major phase of the project. If you're kind of at that phase, now's the time to kind of start breaking that chunk in, down into smaller steps. Like what phone calls do you have to make this week? Um, do you need to make a separate, you know, kind of a, a list of the next steps? Um, is there sort of some internet research you need to do or somebody that you need to uh, kind of reach out to in terms of uh, finding out more information, whether it be from a networking perspective or uh, perhaps from a mentoring perspective. Um, so, yeah, break it off. Break it off some. Uh, take that next chunk uh, related to the goal that you're working on and either finish it up or kind of start up the new one. And uh I am sort of doing that myself as well, and uh, again, I'll get into that next week. But until then, have a great fucking week, everybody, and uh, you will see me back next week. My goal is to, I think, do three more episodes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you uh, is there anybody that uh, is in recovery and kind of wants to come on and tell their story, you know, I'd love to get one last interview in. That would be awesome. Uh, I just love doing these interviews, especially with college students or, or recently finished college students. Um, so, uh, you know, send me an email, a college student success podcast at gmail.com or reach out on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, and uh, let me know what you're up to. Otherwise, have a great week, and I will be back next week. Take care. Peace.